Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 69. Yep, that's right. Episode number 69 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Errol Flynn. And I'm joined here by my cultured co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who's dropped so many jewels you would th- think he was careless. I am talking about 2021's Vinny Chase. AJ, hey, Jay. <laughs> Good, brother. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And we're sitting here with a man who was a 50-year market analyst, a founding member of the CMT Association, who in 2015 received the Market Technician Association's Annual Award for Lifetime Achievement, the author of four trading books. Of course, I am talking about the widely popular Walter Diemer. Walter, how's it going? Just fine all day. How is it going with you? Oh, it's it's going great. It's a you little... You look a lot better than JJ. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm out looking for supply. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good, Walt. It's it's good to talk to you again. It's a little cloudy here uh, in South Florida. But, the, you know, the last time we had you on the podcast was, I, I believe it was like right as the pandemic was starting. It uh, was. 20, yeah, in, in uh, 2020. Uh, I know your facility wasn't really letting you out of the room, a lot of restrictions. Uh, how are things over there now? Well, I'm in a new facility. It's much nicer. It's much greater. And, and uh, they did let me out of the room long enough to have, I can go out and have breakfast with some people now. Yes, yes, yes. That, that, that was a nice breakfast we had where we had uh, Mulligans. Shout out to Mulligans. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's, wouldn't, wouldn't people have liked to have been a fly on the wall for that one? <laughs> yeah yeah indeed that was that was fun you me and steve shout out to steve and um yes you know uh well you know to start the podcast i, w- I want to ask you just a few questions um as we normally would conduct and then i, I want to read some quotes out of your book when the time comes to buy you won't want to uh many great quotes that i'd love for you to expand uh, on for the, the listeners but for those who don't know you you mind just um you know just telling the listeners about your background in financial markets Got interested in the stock market as a kid. Uh, a, a, a friend saved the Wall Street journals for me to read when I was 12 years old. Uh, got into technical analysis uh, in 19, interested in 1961 when uh, uh, I, I took a copy of Joe Granville's book, Home from the Library. And Joe Granville is very persuasive, as you well know. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people of my era, got hooked on technical analysis with him. Um, went to work for Bob Farrell at Merrill Lynch, one of the legendary um, market analysts of all time. Um, went to work for Jerry Sy at the Manhattan Fund, which was during the go-go years. Um, I was part of the go-go years. Uh, actually, I was on page 147 of the book, the go-go years. Went to work for Putnam in Boston, a real investment manager at the height of the Nifty 50 craze, which they were part of, struck out on my own in 1980 and retired in 2016. Survived. And very glad that I don't have to write market reports anymore today. (laughs) Let me tell you. 
Well, that's what it is. It's a, it's a survivor's game. I remember us having this conversation um, at breakfast. Um, and, and we'll get a little bit into that. And so just a reminder to the listeners, if you'd like to trade alongside JJ, myself, and a supporter of community traders, join us at microefutures.com. Walter, speaking of uh, writing reports, um, you brought up at, at the breakfast we had about the, uh, what was it, WalterDemarMemos.com. You have DemarMarketMemos.com. Yeah, I, I decided when I, when I moved uh, into the independent living facility because I got too old to keep up the house. So I didn't have to batten down when hurricanes threatened anymore. And uh, I had 49 loose sleep binders full of my memos and another file drawer and I couldn't take them with me. So I had them scanned on a, uh, a little thumb drive. And so they were all there. And then uh, I said, well, if they're all there, I can put them on a website. So I had somebody set up a website and now all 2,600 of them are on DemerMarketMemos.com. Uh, there are a few from the 60s. There are quite a few from the 70s. And there's everything I did from 1980 on. Some of them are really, really brilliant. And others are incredibly embarrassing. Uh, but if you want to see the way the market looked at the time, um, you know, and there are charts in most of the reports. You can go back and look. So if you want to, like, pick during the silver uh, crisis in 1980, the, the Hunt Silver, you can oh, go yeah. pick pick a report out and look at it. What I was for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, JJ, I know you were looking at a few, weren't you? Oh yeah, I look at them all the time, right? I've I've a huge uh, history buff with Wall Street, so you know, having Walter on the show is like this is like you know, living legend. It's so cool because I grew up watching Wall Street Week, and he was on it. You know, sitting next to Marty Zweig, who was like, you know, when you're my age, that was the only sort of thing that we had. You know, there was no Internet. There was nothing. So this Wall Street week would come on every Friday night, you know, and Louis Rukeyser was there. And even though I, I had no idea what these guys were talking about, there was something it was like, you know, you knew you wanted to be there. Right. You knew yeah. you wanted, you know, there was something about it that just pulled you in as a kid. And uh, so, yeah, I've been reading through your memos and it's just and your research. It's just it's to have an archive like this is just a beautiful thing because I'm a big believer that we can learn from the past, you know, and uh, uh, you know, gentlemen like you, um, you know, that you leave us these kinds of uh, this kind of knowledge. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. You know? Well, it's nice of you to say, but it's interesting because I just did a talk. Some people I met on, on Twitter that I ended up giving a talk, a presentation last month to a group of high school students. And I told them the thing is that they are starting out at such a much higher level than we ever did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we didn't have tick by tick analysis like you did. I mean, there was no VWAP trading back then because exactly. nobody had tick by tick analysis. I mean, it was, yeah. it, it didn't exist. Yeah. And uh, so you're starting, so you're starting at levels that we never even dreamed of. And so it's, 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 it's nice that, uh, um, you know, I started out in the stone age and now you're in the, you know, a much more advanced age, the computer age, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's funny. It's just amazing because, you know, you look at, uh, I, am a big, you know, student of old short squeezes of the past, you know, and things like Piggly Wiggly and, and things like that. Um, you know, to, I can't even remember when that one happened. 
um, the Piggly Wiggly show. I think it was 1922. 1922, yeah. But did you remember anything from your particular time? Um, Like any short squeezes that were sort of notable at that time in your day? Uh, There were a couple that uh, that, that, that tried. There was, uh, uh, during the uh, gambling stock uh, mania of the late 1960s, during the go-go years, uh, gambling stocks were hot. And that was when Mary Carter Paint changed their name to Resorts International, for example. So (laughs) Resorts International used to be Mary Carter Paint. And there was a stock named Parvin Dorman, and Parvin Dorman had some casinos out in the in Las Vegas. And the, the big thing was uh, Howard Hughes came in and uh, was running clean books, so all the skimming that was going on uh, all of a sudden was exposed, so that uh, all of a sudden oh. the casinos were a lot more profitable than they, people thought they were. And Parvin Dorman was a little stock, and. Uh, we owned a bunch of it at uh, Sign Management, and there were a couple other people. Hartwell and Campbell owned a bunch of it. And I remember one day, um, the guy who owned, owned the stock said, sits, sits down and he says, look, he said, we own X number of shares, and, 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 and Campbell owns X number of shares, and so-and-so owns, owns X number of shares. And that leaves 70, 75,000 shares in the float. And there's 150,000 shares short. <laughs> So it's probably going to work. And <laughs> the only problem was that uh, there was some shenanigans and the, uh, the SEC uh, stepped in and did some investigating um, because some of the um, transactions that they were involved in were not, uh, uh, as they say, in the trade kosher. Okay. And so one day I'm in with the, uh, but I mean, so this was a short, split. I mean, it, it was going to happen, but, uh, so the, I go in, I'm in the, to the walk by the analyst door and he's holding uh, uh, office and he's holding up a big piece of paper and it says, fail not at thy peril. And that turns out how, how, that's how a subpoena starts. Oh. I've never seen one personally, as I know none of you have, <laughs> but he had one. And a week or so later, I walked by his office and darned if he didn't get another one. And that led to my now famous rule when they served the second subpoena, sell. (laughs) So it was, as all short squeezes do, that they are very nice for a while and then they end. And and when they end, the uh, end can be rather unpleasant. So it can be unpleasant on both sides. I mean, no short squeeze has ever lasted forever. Uh-huh. True. The, the second so subpoena, it, JJ. Yeah, he, yeah, that's. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, so it's a fun ride on the way up. It's a fun ride on the way down. Yeah, yeah. The whole, the the, the whole, uh, as you call it, the go-go years with, with the gaming stock. The gaming stocks. When we were talking about that, and uh, you know, at breakfast, that was something we were talking about. Um, them skimming the books, the whole. Because I mean, that was real mob heavy back in those days. Correct. <laughs> Yeah, it was indeed. Yeah, yeah, interesting times. I want to, I want to ask you back about your memos, right? Because you said there was uh, some some good ones uh, and some bad ones, uh, maybe some you know bad analysis you had. Uh, Could you give us an example, uh, you know, a good one and a bad one that stick out to you? 
Uh, the bad ones, I think anybody watch. JJ has probably come off, come across a number of them that he's too nice to to to, to mention. I hope, but uh, you know there there are probably some. But um, uh, the good one, I think, was uh, uh, in March of uh, two thousand. Uh, I wrote one called Arrogance. And that was when, in 2000, that was when the new economy was taking over. It was, um, uh, the, the internet was, the, it was the height of the dot-com boom. Mm -hmm. And what the memo in essence said, look, I know these are the most exciting, most innovative, most disruptive com companies in the universe. The question is, what price are you going to pay for? And there's a limit. And I don't know what the limit is, but there is one. Don't say there is not. Mm -hmm. And that happened to be just about the peak of the uh, dot-com boom. So um, you could, uh, shall we say, what I was doing was just saying that the, 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 the exuberance got to an extreme. Uh, any, uh, and I was, you know, I, I sort of compared, I trotted that out uh, uh, a while a while back when some of the uh, Mimi, well, when uh, Kathy Woods, uh, ARK Investment, that uh, everybody was excited. And I said, basically, you know, I have no quarrel that these are, these are obviously the most exciting, the most innovative stocks in the world. But does that mean the stock, the, 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 the companies in the world, but does that mean the stock is a buy at these prices? You have to ask yourself. And you know, as people who trade from the short side know, uh, there are, you know, stocks that get way ahead of themselves and can be very profitable to go short as they come back to reality. Mm -hmm. you, you've said you've never seen uh, a market like this from, from your 50 years of experience, uh, Walter, paying attention to markets. What are you, what are you seeing here in 2021? No, well, there's nothing like that. I mean, everything is different. I mean, as we said at breakfast, Back in the early 60s, Ogloders um, accounted for 10% of the volume in the New York Stock Exchange. So there was heavy partic public participation uh, because you know, odd, lots, uh, odd lots were anything under, under 100 shares. So 10% of the volume on the exchange was from people trading less than 100 shares. So there were a lot of, of transactions to analyze and they were piling into uh, aerospace stocks and vending stocks and bowling stocks and electronic stocks. And eventually it got you know, overdone, but there have been waves of public participation in the market before. They're just different because there are different mechanisms to trade. They're, they're different devices to trade. I mean, back, back then, if you put an order, it took you five minutes to find out whether it was executed and at what price. Now it takes you five milliseconds and <laughs> Everybody bitches about <laughs> everybody bitches about the fact that the HFTs are clipping every order. But back in the days, back in back in the day, there used to be these guys called specialists, <laughs> and the specialists would quote a stock, and it'd be fifty-three and three eighths to three quarters. Now that's three eighths of a point. That's thirty-seven and a half cents. That's more than a fraction of a cent. And there might not be any supply up that at, at the on, on the offer, or there may not be any any on the bid. 
Now you go in and there's there are fractions of the sets and you get and you get instantaneous execution. That's a, in my opinion, it's a small price to pay for liquidity. Exactly. If you want to do something, you can do do something instantly. You couldn't right. do that back then. You yeah. couldn't uh, you couldn't trade the way you're trading today back mm -hmm. then. So the rules, the, the game changes, and and, and the, uh, uh, the, the, the you know, human nature is the same, but the mechanism is different. Sure, sure, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And and how would you uh, say, you know, uh, maybe just speak to the volatility compared to years past that we're seeing? Uh, in years past, something would happen, and the, and the, it's, the stock would take uh, weeks, months to react to it. Mm -hmm. And now now it takes hours. You know, there's instant. So you get these violent moves, you know, instant reaction. And, uh, you know, so, some so company comes out bad earnings after the close. The stock instantly goes down 7.5%. I have no idea how they come up with that price, but all of a sudden it goes to some price and stay, and instantly and, and stays there. In the old days, it'd take days and weeks for it to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the trends that used to be... Um, so so valuable to play in the past don't exist anymore right right necessarily because the, the, you get instantaneous reaction right right so um walter uh do you um uh consume any financial media uh are, are you watching anything uh no i do not uh, i do not watch financial tv as a matter of fact one of the quotes in my book is if you want to watch CNBC like the pros do, turn the sound off. Mm -hmm. And the reason is I have been in a lot of trading rooms in my day and they all have CNBC up on the, on the screen. I had, when I, when I was working, I had, I had two TV sets uh, in my office back in 1990 during the Gulf War. The one, one was tuned to CNN and the other was tuned to CNBC. Mm -hmm. And, um, all of a sudden, all the trading rooms put up a, a CNBC and, and a CNN uh, monitor as well. But every trading room I've ever been in, they all had CNBC on the screen, but they never had the sound on. And I once gave a talk to the CMT Association, and um, I had a big sign that uh, I wanted I wanted people to buy. That, um, just said in big capital letters, "Turn the sound up." And what that was for is for people who were guests, regular guests on CNBC. The next time they got on, I said, just hold the sign up because they're looking at the screen and all of a sudden they see this big thing that says, turn the sound <laughs> up. And so they turned this out. And so John Bollinger, who is on CNBC a lot, he, he insisted that I give him the sign. That's funny. And, and, and I don't know whether he used it. But anyway, the, the point being is that there are a lot of opinions in uh, uh, there are a lot of opinions on on, uh, on, on financial television, and as, as uh, uh, my former colleague Doug Class Cass has observed, opinions are like rear ends. Everybody has one. Mm -hmm. Only yeah. he used a more colorful term than rear end. <laughs> That's funny. The, the The guy Bollinger you brought up. He's he's the creator of Bollinger Bands, correct? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Walter, I want to ask you about Bob Farrell, who is someone you consider your greatest mentor. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Well, uh, he survived the corporate wars at Merrill Lynch, but he was he was he was uh, 
a, a, a card-carrying contrarian. And so he sort of got me in, you know, onto the contrary opinion side, which, um, you know, if you're, if you're an institutional market analyst, you know, looking at the long term, you have to sort of look at the contrary side, which gets to be tough because as, as somebody once wrote about me, telling the majority of your clients that they're probably wrong is not a very good business model. But um, mm-hmm. you know, when it's it, it, if something obvious, that, I forget who said it. I just read it the, the other day. That, uh, t- t- uh, today's price is tomorrow's news. So um, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. What, you, what you're seeing, what you're seeing, the the market told you more about how the, the stock market told you more about how the. the uh, economy was going to recover from the COVID virus than the newspapers did. Right, exactly. And that's, and that's a quote you have um, in the book, which I planned on asking you about. And I, I really, I really love it. And, and that's what I love about the quotes. Like your, your, your quotes are so, um, it tells a lot by, but, but saying a little, it's like just right to the point, yeah. which I think which was kind of the point of why you, you came up with these phrases, right. To, to uh, whoever you were delivering this message to, or to the traders, you know, et cetera. Um, Am I right on that basis? Yeah, their their attention span was very little. And even though they were all Harvard Business School graduates, but you had to get you had them hit them over the head by a two with a two by four to get the point across. Yeah. So I would hit a, the, the 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 big one was uh, when the, the the title of the book is when the time comes to buy you won't want to, and that was you know one day I am sitting at Putnam and the uh, the market is going uh, going oh yes. There we go. Plugging it for you. There, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, by the way, when the time comes to buy, you won't want to. I, that does not refer to the book. That refers to one of my quotes. You, know, <laughs> you do want to buy the book. It's Definitely. very expensive living in here. Look at my library back of me and everything. Exactly. Keep this place up. And, and if you buy the book, I get a sm- very small amount that enables me to stay here for another three or four minutes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, uh, anyway, so uh, the fund managers come into my office and the market's going down, starts down and they say, well, you call you called this short term reaction, right? Reaction, right? Well, is the time to buy yet? And said no. And next day, the market goes down some more. And I, they said, is it time to buy yet? And I said, no. And finally, to get them off my back, they came in and I said, when the time comes to buy, you won't want to, which is a nice way of saying by the time. The time the market has made its move, the reasons will be obvious. The media will be full of reasons why the market is doing what it's doing. And uh, that's the time to buy. The, the, somebody once said, I don't know whether, whether you, you all day or, or the voice or, or the mask of death uh, <laughs> would, agree, would agree with me, but somebody once said that the very, very best trades you make are when you when you push the enter button the enter button uh, to make the trade you want to just throw up on your computer because this is so crazy to be doing it exactly and the best tra- the worst trades you make are the ones when you hit the enter button and you say man got this one locked i'm going to go take my you know i'm going to go spend <laughs> exactly, my exactly exactly oh sorry it, yeah. it's it's a there are a lot of computers involved in the business, but it's still humans that are involved. Yeah, and yeah. human emotion never changes. That's true. Fear, greed, hope, and vanity. 
And that, and that and that's like the fascinating side to the market to me is the uh, the paradoxical nature um, of it. Uh, and, and and like you said, I, I think like having that, and I think it's another quote of uh, from the book if, about having um, like if you have no fear, uh, that that's not like that's probably not good. You got to have a little bit of uh, the tension um, yeah. in your body. I think um, a lot of tension. Yeah, yeah. Because when you when you uh, I will. Every time I think I got this thing figured out, and this is this has happened for all fifty years plus. Uh, every time I, I I I I came up with the idea that I finally got this sucker figured out, I finally got it nailed. Sit back, put my feet up on my desk, light a cigar. I get my head handed to me. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's just the way it is. And the ones where you keep looking yourself in the, in the mirror and say, is this really doing what I think it's doing? Yeah, it's doing what you think it's doing. Yeah. yeah. And I, By the time it becomes obvious, it's obviously wrong. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like I like how um, uh, when we have breakfast, because you know, we were talking about short selling and you were like, oh, well, when it's time to short, there'll be no shorts available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when the time comes to short, you won't be able to borrow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there'll be no borrows. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, uh, right. uh, Walter, I, I know I know you're, um, you know, at least aware of cryptocurrency. I don't know how much of, you know, uh, how much you've researched or you've done into it. Do you have any thoughts on cryptocurrency and decentralization? I don't. I'm too. I'm, this you can't teach this old dog new tricks. Although I will say that the the, the people on uh, the various uh, mailing lists that I still belong to uh, seem to think that crypto that cryptocurrencies are one of the greatest trading vehicles of all. Because somebody said it's, it's a great trading vehicle because there are no fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And I guess. There are a few fundamentals because every once in a while, Elon Musk opens his mouth or sends out a tweet or something like that. But there's really not a whole lot of fundamentals in the thing. And the, the fundamentals probably don't apply to anything other than the Bitcoin, which everybody knows about. But there's a zillion others that people play. in. So I would say what I know about, about cryptos is if I were younger, I would be studying them intensely technically because they should be very lucrative mm-hmm. i think that's great advice great advice walter throughout your career i'm sure that you have some absurd stories things that have happened we love we love these type of wild stories on confessions is there anything that stands out from your career like just crazy absurd story well, uh, one, the, one of the crazy ones was that Parvin, Parvin Norman ex, escapade. Um, that, uh, you know, the fact that the, 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 more than the float had been sold short. But unfortunately, the part of it was that the, uh, the, the, there was a mob in Chicago and there, there was a mob in, in, in Vegas and that they were involved in some shady dealings. And so it turned out that the shorts were right. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so that there was more short than the, there was actually it, like in the float. Yeah. Wow. So, and what, so, and what was well, the, I'm sorry, there, I'm sorry, not, not in the float because the, the, the five, five money managers had tied up most of the stock. It was uh-huh. a very small stock. Okay. So, so add up the five uh, managers and they control all but 75,000 shares of the stock. <laughs> and there's 150,000 shares short. Short. 
and none of those five guys are going to sell. I'm not going to sell, and he's not going. Number two isn't going to sell. Number three is not going to sell. Number four is not going to sell. Number five is going to sell. That only leaves seventy-five thousand shares, and one hundred fifty thousand. Well, apparently, one of them sold. Yeah, there's always a backdoor. There's always somebody backdoors. You know, yeah. it's you know, there's always somebody backdooring, and it's usually yeah. through Canada. <laughs> speaking of canada i'll give you that one uh when sci management first started out this is in 1966 uh we were at uh we had a very small office which was rapidly growing so we had the 22nd floor of a relatively small building and we were the money was coming in so fast they started expanding so we started taking space on the 23rd floor 24th floor and the 19th floor and stuff like that so uh, there was a telephone guy named uh, George who worked there full-time running cables from the 22nd floor to the other floors now our particular office happened to be previously occupied by Canadian javelin and no offense, Mr. Voice of Death, but Canadian Javelin was not the most reputable, did not have the most uh, glowing reputation. Uh, it was a sort of a, a, a semi-shady Canadian mining operation. So late one, late one evening, I am there late, and George is running around trying to find places to run the telephone cables and he's rummaging around in the ceiling and he literally pulls down a bunch of maps. And I always figured, I always had visions that when Canadian Javelin wanted to goose their stock a little bit, they would reach up into the ceiling and pull down a map and announce a discovery. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the Canadian mining industry, and that's yeah. it happened all the time. Even Briex, I mean, that was the first deal I ever worked on. Um, well, that was a, that was a lovely one. <laughs> you know, it was all it's all fun and games until somebody falls out of a helicopter. I was going to say you know? at least at least you didn't <laughs> jump out of the helicopter. I was a rookie, so I, I was my first deal. But boy, what a it's, it's probably another thing. Like this, this, when they serve the second subpoena, when the guy jumps out of the helicopter cell. Exactly. And that's exactly what we did because my client, which we, we call him the penguin, he had a couple of million shares at 30 cents and we were selling it all the way up to 200 bucks a share because it got up to the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. And, and then, then the guy fell out of the helicopter and I saw that on the news and I called him up and I'm like, he's like hit every single bid. <laughs> <laughs> hit the bid before the guy hits the ground. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God, that's insane. Which, uh, which, which is why technical analysis works pretty well on Canadian mining stocks. <laughs> well, uh, uh, another, I'll give you, since we were getting into Canadian thing, and I'm sorry that the Montreal Canadians are not doing as well as the Tampa Bay. What, what the hell a hockey team is doing in Tampa Bay, I have no idea. I mean, hockey, <laughs> hockey belongs in Montreal, not Tampa Bay, but uh, we won't go there. Um, and, um, uh, I, I will add that uh, I was in—I was literally in the Boston Garden when Bobby Orr scored that famous goal, flying oh, cool. through the air to win the Stanley Cup. Wow. It was on Mother's Day. It was overtime. It was hot day, and they ran out of beer <laughs> at Boston Garden. And so I know a little bit about about hockey. Anyway, 
so gold gold is starting to to perk up in the late in the late uh, 19, 1980s, uh, 1970s, and I was at Putnam. And we had one of the guys, one of the people we worked with was a guy named Ian Notley, who was a very brilliant, uh, now deceased, uh, market uh, technical analyst out of Toronto. And so the, the, the uh, people at Putnam decided that they wanted to play gold and they wanted to get racy. So I was asked to call Ian in Toronto and ask him what the most speculative Canadian gold stock was that they could buy. And so he sort of blinked for a minute and then he said, well, I guess it's Canadian Quebec Sturgeon River. And so the gang at Putnam all bought Quebec Sturgeon River, but they've been to the Harvard Business School so they don't understand Canadian mining stocks. So what they are doing, that they decided that probably one of them ought to go to the company's annual meeting. <laughs> so I called up Ian and I said, one of them wants to go, somebody wants to go to the Quebec Sturgeon River annual meeting. How does that work? And after he stopped laughing, which took a while, <laughs> he said, well, it's probably going to be in some dingy little lawyer's office, and it will probably be conducted in French. <laughs> they looked at each other because this was a stock that they owned. See, they don't teach that in Harvard Business School. They do not. They do no, not. they don't. No. JJ, JJ. JJ, he teaches stuff like that, but they uh, JJ, <laughs> you ought to be a guest lecturer at the Harvard Business School. <laughs> you probably have to put on a coat and tie rather than the, the outfit you currently yeah, have. I know. But uh, <laughs> I'll be uh, like uh, Rodney uh, Dangerfield when he goes back to school. You know, yeah. he, he's he's telling the prof, oh, you gotta grease the mafia because you're not gonna <laughs> Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's insane. I, I to, to this day, JJ, like like when a you know Walter, when a, a a mining company and specifically a Canadian mining company like comes up on my on my like scans on my system, like I don't even consider it. I did, next, uh, I don't even. Um, and, and they do they do trade kind of funky at times, JJ. Oh, of course, well, they have to, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, and before it was a mining company, and the, the funny thing is, when Canadian mining companies all of a sudden will become a Bitcoin company, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. what it is is, you know, you I can see the guys that there used to be a place called Tiny's Diner where all the the rounders would go and hang out, and they'd be like, okay, what's hot? Internet's okay. Let's do some internet's, right? So they take a Canadian mining shell and put an internet deal in it, but they had no idea. They didn't even know how to build a website, right? So now I could just see they're going, "Hey, Bitcoin, let's uh, let's sell some bitcoins, okay?" Let's, you know. <laughs> so they change it from you know Canadian javelin, and I actually found the 1973 New York Times article where they're sued for fraud by the SEC. It's just amazing, you know. It's uh, it's yeah, Canadian mining deals are uh, you know. It's uh, but again, they can be fun on the way up and the fun on the way down. Just they are. That's why that's why you need to have a chart on any Canadian mining stock you ever own. Well, the trick to Canadian mining stocks is to get the stock at a discount before it starts to run. So you buy it. That usually means you have to know something you're not supposed to know, but we won't have to go there. No, no, no never. 
I love I love what JJ said. Like like uh, you know people in, uh, will ask him like oh what do I do with this stock you know or or what do I do it and it's a mining one. JJ's like you get free shares. That's how you trade this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, first, yeah. the first rule I ever learned. My boss told me was I said hey you know because we had two hundred public companies as clients and I said chief which one of these stocks should I buy you know what's a good what's a good trade he's like he's like kid you don't buy stock you sell it I'm like well how how does that work if you don't buy it he goes people will give it to you. You don't have to do anything. You just give them, you know, they'll give you the stock and you sell it into the market. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, the last, you know, before my heart attack, the last five years of my life, I lived on S8 paper, which was literally free, you know? Uh, so yeah, you know, why pay for stock when you could just get it for free? All right. Well, that's, a good, that's a good observation. I'm going to try that. <laughs> oh, with your resume, by God, you could uh, probably get, you know, Couple of hundred million shares from anybody you wanted, and board membership and board can seats I, too. Can I be? Can I be a spac? Sure. <laughs> Whatever you want, Walter. Yeah. Whatever you hey, want. <laughs> we, hey, there, there are three of us right here on the Treasure Coast. Exactly. Well, you, 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 me, and and beyond. Yeah, 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 we, can, we can make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you all, know, like th- those all day, retar- all day, and beyond. Exactly. Well, you know, those, those retired army generals and the, who was that gentleman? Wesley Clark. He was, uh, he was, you know, the, the general for NATO. I mean, he, how many board memberships did he get? Gosh, Walter, people would, people would pay you to, to be on their board. You could probably be on like 20 boards if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm afraid they wouldn't because I'm too ethical. <laughs> that's there the, you go. That's, 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 I, ah, that's there's the rub. That, that that's the, the you know ethical people and boards don't get together don't don't work together true enough well said well said walter any advice you give to however any- however if you know of any trading rooms that are looking for a board member i'm available <laughs> hey, perfect okay. perfect excellent walter any advice you give a new trader entering the markets 2021 be humble, learn from your mistakes, write everything down. Uh, uh, everybody in the business makes mistakes. The trick is not to make the same one twice. But my problem in life is after almost 60 years of this, I'm still finding new ways to make mistakes. But you don't want to make the same one twice. Be disciplined uh, when your work tells you to do something, even if you think it's a bad idea. You know, follow follow your work, not 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 your emotions. Don't be emotions. Uh, the best, I think, the best traders are probably also probably the best poker players. You know that they um, they they analyze they analyze things that they 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 have they have uh, you know uh, ice water running in their veins. They're the best traders. I am a lousy trader because every time I would trade something i would want to watch every tick mm-hmm. and every tick that went up i got if i was long i would get all excited and if it went down two ticks in a row it would go on, start committing you know contemplating suicide and stuff and i just i just didn't have the dis- this discipline you, you have to have a certain discipline to be a successful trader and and i don't have it and uh, if you do you have to I think be as unemotional as you possibly can. You know, just remember, 
it's, it's just numbers. It's just dollars rather than scores. But it's like, you know, it's like a, it, it's like a hockey game. You know, it's, it's, you know, somebody gets three goals and somebody gets two goals or something like that. Or, you know, somebody makes three winning trades and loses. It's just dollars rather than goals. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think, I think that's a good way to look at it. Like it, right. uh, yeah, like trying to attach, detach yourself from like the dollar. It's just like almost yeah. a way of keeping yeah. score. Like when I play poker, that's how I try and look at it. It's like the, it's just the way of keeping score. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and one other thought is that the market knows more than you do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, all, all timeless pieces of advice there, Walter. Let's jump into some and, of the quotes. And if you if you think you know more than the market does, you are about to learn a very costly lesson. Yeah. 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 Like Marty, not Marty's eyes, you know, yeah. two famous rules. Don't fight the Fed and don't fight the tape. True. Absolutely. I, you know, that, that was something I really took away from our conversation. And I, I was telling people this, Walter, when we had breakfast that uh, like, you know, your, your humility and you still this, this far into the game, still like, you still like, Hey, I don't know anything. And there is people who just started trading this year and they have, more bravado than you do and I'm and it's and it's it's kind of insane it's you know and, and like I just think to the listeners it's like I mean that's like, I think it's a very overlooked point I think you, you can go on a string of a couple of like winning trades and you think you're God's greatest gift to trading huh. and it's like you know it, it, this is a long run game you know not not a month or two or are you gonna be here in five ten years um, huh. and just you know come, come with that humility because it's, it's only one two three bad trades and you're done I'm going to read a quote from page 77 from Alan Shaw, who was another of the founding members of the Market Technicians Association from Smith Barney. The stock market is the creation of man that has most humbled him. Mm. Yeah, I love that. You can can go from, you know, broaden it out from the stock market to any financial instrument, but it, it, it will humble you. Absolutely. I love that quote. That's, that's a great look, look at what it's done to JJ. He does not look like the typical Florida beachgoer. No, I do not. <laughs> no, look what it did to him. I mean, I remember, I remember when he was just out there in his speedo on the beach. <laughs> and, and now poor guy. I mean, even with his VWAP and, 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 and stuff, which I don't understand. He, 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 he posts wonderful things on Twitter. Uh, he said, you know, this obvious thing or something. I look at it and say, what? <laughs> no. So, so, so JJ, JJ has a lot. I have to, I have to watch some of his videos to understand them, but, but look, look at how it's even a great trader like JJ, look at what, the, what it's done to him. <laughs> It will humble you. It'll definitely, as soon as you get too big for your britches, it takes, oh, you, out to the, it takes, out, takes you right out to the woodshed. <laughs> yeah. Here's another, I got another quote. This is from, I'm just, I'm just, uh, go ahead, say something. I'm looking. Okay. Okay. I, um, you know, after our breakfast, you know, we, we posted the picture and, you know, I'm getting all these messages from these CMTs like, oh, no way. Like you sat down with Walter. How was it? You know, blah, blah, blah. Because um, you're a founding member of yeah. the CMT Association. Just, just tell us about how, how did all that come together? 
Well, back back in the in the old days, market technicians were not very well regarded. We were sort of, you know, the the uh, the, the bad kids in the neighborhood. It, uh, um, and so we decided that a bunch of us decided that maybe we ought to try to build up our reputation. So some of us got together, uh, and um, there I think there were nineteen of us at the beginning. Uh, founding members uh, just formed a group called the, the, it was called the Market Technicians Association of New York. And the first fight they ever had was uh, because I was running, uh, I was working at Putnam in Boston and I ran the uh, membership committee and Bill Doan ran, was at Fidelity and he put out the uh, monthly newsletter and Bill Viani worked at uh, Wellington and he put out the quarterly journal. And we were all you know, subsidizing, you know, our firms were all very much in favor of this. But we said, we're doing all the work in Boston and you're called for the Market Technicians Association in New York. So we petitioned to have it, the New York part dropped. So it became the Market Technicians Association. And it was just trying to, you know, professionalized. And I think finally, after many years, it has so that they understand. Because one of the things, one of the things people don't understand, this is what I had, to, this was the toughest thing I had to get through to the Harvard Business School students. A company is not the same as the stock. And so you can tell me, pick any company you want, let's say, let's say Tesla. Okay, you can tell me, Everything that Tesla is going to do over the next five years, fundamentally, what they're going to earn, how many cars they're going to sell, whatever, whatever. And that doesn't tell you what the stock's going to do. And since you buy the stock rather than the company, you should, you should analyze the stock, which is technical analysis. And I won't go into it, but uh, the, the big thing was McDonald's, McDonald's Corporation uh, in the early 1970s, during the Nifty 50 uh, era, was selling at 75 times earnings. The stock had earnings, the earnings grew at 25% per year, compounded for seven or eight years after that, and the stock was cut in half. Wow. So you, if you, if you, if you knew how good McDonald's company was going to perform, that didn't tell you whether the stock was going to buy, be a buyer or not. Mm-hmm. So. A stock is not the same as company. Technical analysis is what you use to analyze stocks. Therefore, technical analysis is the most basic part of the investment process. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know a lot of people- It can are- be useful. It can also be useful in trading. Yeah, it absolutely can. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> a lot of people are grateful for, you know, you helping spearhead, you know, all this. Um, well, the one, the one thing I will say that-, that the one thing that the MTA did was back in those days, there was no sharing of information. Everybody had their proprietary work. And now people share it a lot. I mean, uh, you know, the stuff JJ is posting about, you know, whatever, whatever it is, the BWAP or the, the D thing, you know, <laughs> there is very little really proprietary stuff. Everybody is sharing information and then using it to build on it even further. And that's something that the MTA did, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, that they brought, you know, technical analysis out into the open where it was, methods were openly discussed. So people, 
Bollinger creates the Bollinger bands. He tells you exactly what they are. He doesn't say, here's a little you know, thing I came up with. I can't tell you the formulation, but this is what I came up with. Mm-hmm. And so the, there, there's a great deal of sharing of information, which I think is, you know, that's why people today are starting out and functioning at a much higher level than we did when we started out. Mm-hmm. Much higher. Yeah, I was I always like to joke with the uh, with CMTs, um, especially like the ones we've had on the podcast. They're they're so proud. It's like on Twitter, it's always like they'll have like their name and then CMT. It's like it's like they're a doctor or something, right? It's like always like the title next to it. How come you don't have the CMT like Walter Deemer CMT? I don't have one. You don't have? Well, you found it. You founded it. What? I fa- I founded it, but the CMT is the is the is the uh, test you have to pass. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and the reason was that the, the, the beginning, you know, they had the test material, and they were, had these things you had to learn these various indicators. And I had um, I had Metastock back in those days, which was one of the ancient stock analysis programs, and they had a bunch of canned indicators. And I accidentally punched in one of the can indicators into the profitability test and it lost money. And I said, why should I learn how this indicator works to pass the test if it doesn't work? So I didn't, and I didn't pass it. So uh, I'm not, what are you going to do? So I'm, I am a member of the CMT association, but I am not a chartered market technician. Uh, okay. They, they should give it to you out of sympathy though. That's, that's crazy. Uh, I'll, I'm going to sign a petition. Well, and uh, we'll get it going around. Well, they, they gave me an award for li- for living longer than anybody else did. <laughs> but uh, but uh, they didn't. I didn't pass the real test. Okay. All right. Yeah. The, the real te- the, the real test is being able to survive in this business, whether uh-huh. whether it's for te- for 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 weeks, months, years. It's just survivability is the real test, not whether you know the stuff. Yep, I love that. I really love that. So l- let's jump with that. We'll jump into some of the quotes from the book, Walter. Um, some of these we've probably touched on in conversation. Uh, if we do, we could just move on quickly. Won't waste too much time. Uh, first one I wrote down here, like uh, the stock market is a better economic forecaster than economists. I guess we kind of spoke to that already. Um, yeah, except I will I will add one thing. And that is that the old joke is the stock market has is, is, is forecast nine of the last five recessions, mm-hmm. which you know, people laugh at it, but that means that the stock market, there were, there were five bear markets association, associated with recessions, it means there were four bear markets that were not associated with recessions. Mm-hmm. And since you are not an economist, but you are a stock market trader, you need to know what the market is telling you, not what the economists are telling you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, the other thing is the thesis I did at Penn State uh, back in, in, the, uh, in 1963 was comparing leading economic indicators to, to technical indicators. And it turned out, you know, basically leading economic indicators lead the economy, but not the stock market. The stock market leads the economy. As a matter of fact, the stock market is a leading economic indicator. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to know what the economy is doing, look at the stock market. Don't look at the stock. Don't look at the economy to tell you what the stock market's going to do. You'll be hitting behind the ball. Absolutely, and I think I think that's a big, big point for sure. JJ, I know you're going to like this next one. This next one coming up here. Uh, all He's price, smiling. I can tell. <laughs> all price changes are caused by an imbalance in supply and demand. Yeah. 
which is which is why I don't watch CNBC because they tell you why why everything happened. You know that when we came on, I said, you know, why why did the uh, why why are the did the uh, spiders go down after the close? You know, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. There was more there was more supply than demand, mm-hmm. so the price went down. I don't know why. We may never know why. Exactly. Maybe somebody got you know plastered in a bar and decided. <laughs> Dump some, I don't know. <laughs> Which wouldn't that would not be a first? It would not be, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but we used we used to uh, this is not true, but I told people it was it probably when the market was really going down badly, you know, we'd have a really bad day. We go out to lunch and order around the drinks, and then somebody would call the office and ask whether the market had turned up. Mm-hmm. If it had, we had lunch and went back to the office. If it hadn't, we ordered another round of drinks. drinks. And that went on until either the market turned back up or we didn't care anymore. <laughs> That's great. All right. All right. Next one. <coughs> There's Emma. Emma, did you have anything to add, JJ? No. Uh, I'm just the whole supply thing. Have you? I'm just curious. I mean, I've I've been only doing this since '93, but I've never seen. Such a such a lack of supply, or the warehousing of big positions by companies like BlackRock. I mean, you know, these guys are holding billions of shares of these companies. I mean, you look at Amazon today; it's up four point six percent on seven million shares of, of trading. The um, are you at all concerned about the lack of liquidity? I mean, if somebody came out and tried to nail out thirty million shares of Apple or Microsoft in an order, I mean. Um, this thing would go bid off pretty quick. Um, I just, the markets seem to be getting thinner and thinner up here. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, you, you raise an interesting point because I think part of it is, is because of all the uh, um, the uh, index funds that are going on. They, they put the, the stock away and it's, it's just gone. Between that and the corporate buybacks, the, the, the amount of stock is, is, the liquidity is bad, yeah. Yeah. And someday we will learn what the consequences are, but probably not today. Not today, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It'd definitely be interesting to see how that plays out. Next quote. It will be. Yeah. Right on my tombstone, how it played out, will you? Hey, you're not going anywhere. Wait. Just, just, you. You're not going just, anywhere. Just, 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 just write on and just say, <laughs> you were right. It didn't end well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Walter, there is more human intelligence focused on the corner of broad and wall than any other place on the planet. Okay, that's from Richard Russell. And that uh, uh, what he's saying is when you're analyzing the stock market, let's call the, the spiders the, the, the stock market for the moment, that you're analyzing the net focus of human intelligence, trying to figure out what the stock market is worth. And what technical analysis does is analyze that supply and demand as the focus, as, as the net result of all that human intelligence. So what you are doing as a market analyst is analyzing the sum total of all the human intelligence. And it's all focused, well, at that point, the New York Stock Exchange was, was it. Now, now it not, but at that point, it was all focused on the New York Stock Exchange, which happened to be in the corner of Broad Mall. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes me think it's, uh, you know, just respect the game. You know, people got to have respect. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it goes to the whole humility point we were talking about earlier. 
uh, have a lot of respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And don't don't think you know more than the market because you don't know more than the sum of all human intelligence. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's why I really like that quote. Next one is another favorite of mine. Always remember that we are dealing with probabilities and not certainties. Yeah. Yep. Which is which is a nice way of saying, remember, when you put on a trade. Uh, you may think you've got a, you, you, you got you got a slam dunk, but it's not certain. I mean, it, it, there is nothing that is certain in this world, especially in the financial markets. Especially, so, yeah. which is which is why I believe that uh, su successful traders look at the risk as well as the reward. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a must. You absolutely have to. I, I think, I think this is a hard thing for the human brain to wrap its head around. That you know, ninety percent is not a hundred percent. Precisely. Right? Yeah. Precisely. Yeah, it could be tough things. All right, next one. Yeah, and and it, well, that's why that's why hedge funds end up blowing up every once in a while because they figure that in the 90, 95 or ninety nine percent, and then the one percent comes along and boom. Yeah, yeah, and and it, I think it you know brings it back full circle to the whole point with survival, right? Like, in I think you have to protect yourself against it, like black swan, quote unquote, type of events. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because it can be detrimental. Detrimental. All right. Uh, next one here, which means which means one has to monitor the amount of leverage one is using. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, markets and stocks can stay overbought for a long time if the advance is really strong. Right, which is basically you know uh, explaining that what's happened to the stock market in the last year. It goes up and then never corrects. Uh, what it gets down to and. This, this actually, this has, this is something that, that, uh, that applies to even very short-term traders. That when the market has an advance like it's had in the last year, and it doesn't have a normal correction, what it is saying to you is that the underlying trend is so strong is preventing the normal correction from taking place, and. The underlying trend can be anything, but in this case, over the last year, it was a long-term trend, but it could be on a very short-term trade that if something is supposed, like Amazon, I didn't, I didn't watch it today, but it looked like it was probably going straight up. And normally, I would think during, during the day, you have these little intraday corrections and things like that. And you have something that goes up and just doesn't correct like it's supposed to. It just goes up and then goes sideways for a little while and goes up. That is saying that the underlying trend is extremely strong. So it's sending you a message. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, and, and these, are the, yeah, these are the type of messages that us as traders have to be keen to um, mm -hmm. pick up on. Absolutely. Which is another way of saying when a stock doesn't go up on good news, it's a bear market. When a stock doesn't go down on good, uh, I'm sorry, doesn't go down on bad news, it's a bull market. Right, right. Which was another quote from the book. Uh, okay, next one here. What is what is not happening can be more important than what is. Which again goes back to the fact if, if something is supposed to have a normal counter trend move and doesn't, it's telling you something. Yeah, I find, I find that um, interesting because that's almost counterintuitive, right? What's not happening can be as important. So I think that's good to keep, you know, bring that awareness to trading. All right. When the time comes to buy, you won't want to. Name of the book. Yeah. We've touched yeah. on that. 
we we got we got into that discussion about you know the Putnam fund managers and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, just go back to March a year ago. You know when when yeah. I was locked up. You know, it was right when you know the news was bleak. The 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 the, 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 the had just gone down thirty two percent in a matter of weeks and everything. The economy was shutting down. The world was shutting down. Everything was shutting down. And that was the time to buy. And I will guarantee you, anybody who bought that day, and the number of people today who tell you who bought that day are far, far higher than the number of people who actually bought that day. But the number of people who, who actually bought that day, who put in a buy order, did not want to buy because things looked bleak. They could only get worse. And that was it. So mm-hmm. It's just human nature. And, yeah. and we will. We can also say, and, and we will leave this to the people who are not retired, which is not me. When the time comes to sell, you won't want to. Mm-hmm. This next one is more of a, I guess, kind of funny quote. Uh, I'll let you talk to it. Um, there, there are no atheists in bear markets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would have. There were various fund managers at Putnam that I would see only after the market had gone down for a rather protracted period of time and they wanted to know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they thought technical analysis was mumbo jumbo. Yeah, yeah right. But when things are in, uh, yeah, yeah, things are yeah. They're coming up. Yeah, they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. When, uh, when everyone thinks alike, everyone is likely to be wrong. Yeah, this is contrary opinion. Uh, which I take a step further, you know, which is Deemer's law of perversity. And that is the the stock market will do whatever it needs to do to embarrass the greatest number of people to the greatest extent possible. Totally amazing. Figure out, um, take a look at what happened and what's happening in the bond market in the last couple of weeks. Everybody knew that interest rates were going up. Everybody knew. Everybody was convinced. And yet I think I saw that interest rates are coming down. That is embarrassed an awful lot of people who were, you know, playing, you know, for higher interest or, or were betting on higher interest rates. And it sort of squeezed some shorts and stuff like that, I would guess. Mm-hmm. And this, I guess this next one um, sort of goes in conjunction with it. Uh, extremely crowded trades rarely work extremely well. Yeah. When it's, when it's, when it's obvious to everybody that you, usually it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's already reflected in the market. Yep. Yep. All right. And the uh, last one I got here, which I believe uh, this is from Mark Twain, possibly uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often right. Right, exactly, which is why when we were talking about how the market changes and everything, that there have been various waves of public participation in the market uh, since I first got involved in the, in, the, in, the late, in the early 60s. But, you know, each one is different and each one is, is, has similarities. Each one has, you know, the greed and, and the, the, the make get rich quick thing and everything. But, um, you know, there are no odd lotters today, but we, mm-hmm. we didn't have Robin Hood back then. So, you That's know, true. Yeah. Different, different vehicles. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but and, and it's and that's what I that's what I love about it, and it's especially this quote. It's like it doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, and yeah. so it's it's the same, but it's not, you know. And yeah. I guess it's like learning how to relate to the events, um, you know, yeah. as they come to you. Well, it, 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 it's like you know we were talking at breakfast about you know Reddit and everybody when they were playing and we're we're, we're jamming uh, uh, GameStop and AMC GameStop and AMC and everything. Always in terrible. Everybody's on social media doing it. That's what hedge funds used to do. You used to go to, to go have uh, private dinners with twelve, you know, 12, twenty of them together, and they'd all swap ideas and they all figure out which ones they were going to play. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, so it's just it's different it's different different media that the, the, the uh, hedge funds are on the phone back to each other all day. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, hey, look at Amazon. Hey, Amazon going. Oh, <laughs> let's jump on Amazon. Oh, hey, Amazon. What Amazon? Go. It's never done this. You know, it hasn't done this for weeks. We better get on. Yeah, let's get on board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly. They just don't do it on Reddit. Yeah, there's something on Reddit, or, or like our, uh, it makes me think of our buddy, Tony Duff, JJ. Oh, it definitely. Getting together with his other hedge fund buddies, and they all, you know, uh, jam in some healthcare stocks. <laughs> Just amazing. I, I was curious, Walter, did you ever meet Barton Biggs from Morgan Stanley when, because I read his book, Hedgehogging, and uh, one thing he talked about was this Triangle Investment Club uh, dinners that they used to have, and I, I never knew if it was you know, some like a tall tale or uh, whether that actually ever existed. Uh, I don't know personally, but I'm sure it did. Okay. And there were also the Brimberg lunches, which I did attend. And, uh, that's where Bob Brimberg, uh, Scarsdale Fats in the, uh, in the book, uh, The Money Game. Oh, okay. And, and he, would, he would have a bunch of, uh, uh, of people together and uh, everybody would talk about you know, big the big money managers, and then we talk about you know what they were doing and what they liked and what they didn't like. You know, I was always asked to give the benediction, which was the technical outlook. Oh, very cool, amazing. All right, and that's that's all the quotes I got. That's all the uh, well, there's more of it that I have to buy well, the book. Yeah, well, I, I, can't give, <laughs> I can't give everything away, Walter. I don't want to ruin the whole book. Those are some of the ones I liked. Go out and get the book, listeners. He has three other books. Um, go get those. Walter, besides your own books, there's one book you would recommend to people um, on trading. Which book would which book would it be? Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. Mm -hmm. Best book on market psychology ever written. Mm -hmm. and it, I, it, it was it was written uh, I don't know 19 in the 1940s I guess or something, and that it, uh, it still rings true today. Yeah, yep. incredible. And I know JJ agrees with that. Got a copy on my desk. Yep. <laughs> it's my Bible. <laughs> yep. Incredible. Yeah. I think we all, I think probably we all do. And, yeah. and it's funny because somebody you know, once asked Jerry Sai, he said, what, what, what's your favorite book on investing? He said, he told me, said, it's really reminiscent of a stock operator, but I, I, I didn't want to say that in public. Mm -hmm. So the people, the people who think it's a great book, you know, may not admit it in public, but. All right. That's the one. Just quickly, uh, I got asked, what was it like working with Jerry Sai? I mean, you know, just for a young guy like me, you, you know, you read about, you know, these sort of historical figures. What was, uh, what was he like? Uh, he, he was the first, he was the first go-go manager. And then when people started doing what he did, he wasn't able to keep up. But, you know, he was, 
he was uh, rather unique. Uh, there was there were two big funds at uh, at Psy Management. Manhattan Fund was the big one, which Jerry ran most of the time, and then uh, the second one uh, was called the TMR Appreciation Fund, which a guy named Bob Edwards, who was a much better money manager, ran. And one day, Bob Edwards is sitting, you know, in my office. I was, I was, I was Jerry's eyes and ears. I, I was supposed to keep him. Uh, uh, abreast, keep him up on what was going on in the market. So one day, um, uh, Bob, Bob Edwards looks at the tape and uh, he's watching the tape and he calls the trading uh, room. Uh, he calls the trader and says, looks like, looks like there's a block of burrows going to go up. I want to buy 25,000 shares on the cleanup. Mm-hmm. And the trader says, well, you're right, there is a block of burrows going, that's going to go up, but you can't buy it because it's Jerry's block. <laughs> <laughs> puts the phone down and looks at me and says, what's he know that I don't know? <laughs> uh, the, uh, another story, uh, Jerry Jerry knew all sorts of people. Charlie Blue Dorn was a golf and western. Did you ever meet him? Did Remember you ever? Uh, so, oh, the mad Austrian Jerry, of Wall Street. The what? The Mad Austrian of Wall Street, Charlie Bluedorn. Charlie Bluedorn. So Charlie Bluedorn comes in, you know, Gulf and Western yeah. within probably two points of its all-time high. And Charlie Bluedorn comes in and has lunch with Jerry and says, I am going to make three acquisitions in the next couple of weeks, and they are going to knock your socks off because all three of them are members of the Dow Jones Industrials. And Jerry goes out and puts every fund in the place, builds a five, puts them a get, get, puts a five percent position, which is the max you're allowed in Gulf and Western. And the guy who was running the, one of the income funds says, "Yeah, I don't even know why he did it, but couldn't he have bought one of the convertibles so I could I could have got some income out of it?" <laughs> and Charlie Bluedorn did make three acquisitions, but nobody ever heard of any of the three companies he oh, bought. They were definitely not members <laughs> of the Oh my God, that is legendary. I mean, and, and, um, and Gulf and Western did nothing but go down after that. that that's that's quite amazing. I, I I just the only reason I know about him is because from Robert Evans' um, book and movie, The Kid Stays in the Picture. Uh, Blue Horn was Coffin Western. They made the Godfather and that sort of thing. So, mm. and yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, I guess he was a trader who started Golf and Western from Michigan Bumper in the old days. Michigan? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was there was Charlie Blue Horn and there was Jimmy Ling and there were a couple of others that they all decided that, you know, two plus two equaled five. And it turned out that it didn't. And that was the conglomerates. Wow. You know, you build a bio. The only the only person who ever built a successful conglomerate was Warren Buffett. True, very true. And, but we won't. Yeah. But the thing is, see, I don't. I I never worked for Warren Buffett, so I I never analyze companies. I analyze stocks. Exactly. He he doesn't buy stocks. He buys companies. Right. You know, all the rest of us we buy stocks. True. True. Or futures. Mm-hmm. Or. Bitcoins or cryptos or something like that. It's something that trades. Yeah, or NFT. Yeah, we go on and on. But yeah, that's. I think it's a good good place to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker.
you guys enjoyed today's episode, please like and leave a review. If you'd like to trade alongside JJ, myself, and a supportive professional group of traders, join us at microefutures.com. Walter, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you and anything else you want them to know. They can find me on Twitter at Walter Deemer, and they can find me on Amazon, and they can find me in Palm City, Florida. Hey, there we go. JJ. They make it every once in a while. Every once in a while, they can find me having breakfast with some very nice people at Mulligan's. Hey. <laughs> no, JJ, pardon words. Oh, what an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. Just uh, it's, it's great to have our legends with us and uh, come back anytime. Love to have you. Thanks. It's, it's, I, I have fun. You, I, I see what you do and I say I have nothing in common with you. And then we have breakfast tonight. I'm amazed how much I have in common with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. It's been, it's been a pleasure, Walter. I look forward to our next breakfast um, and uh, be easy. Thanks for joining us. And so for Walter Deemer, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla house street. You stop. So. <laughs> <laughs>